Support for this podcast is provided by SHL. From talent acquisition to talent management, SHL Solutions provide your organisation with the power and scale to build your business with the skilled, motivated and energised workforce you need. SHL takes the guesswork out of growing a talented team by helping you match the right people to the right moments with simplicity and speed. They equip recruiters and leaders with people insights at an organisation, team and individual level, accelerating growth, decision-making, talent mobility and inspiring an inclusive culture. To build a future where businesses thrive because their people thrive, visit shl.com to learn more. There's been more of scientific discovery, more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history. Hi there, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 555 of the Recruiting Future podcast. When we're talking about the future of talent acquisition, generative AI has been taking all of the limelight this year. However, arguably, although it grabs fewer headlines, the steady evolution of skills-based hiring is potentially even more disruptive to traditional recruiting norms. There is an enormous amount of data, science and research going into understanding the relationship between skills and job performance, and the results are smashing some of the longest-held assumptions about hiring. My guest this week is Andy Nellison, Global Leader of Talent Acquisition Solutions at SHL. SHL has done an enormous amount of work to establish the link between skills and performance, and their research has revealed 12 skills that universally predict success. There's also a significant discrepancy between the skills employers ask for in job ads and the skills the science shows they actually need. So this is a must-listen interview for everyone who wants to hire more effectively. Hi, Andy, and welcome to the podcast. Really excited to be here. An absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Please, could you introduce yourself and tell us what you do? Yeah, happy to. Uh, My name is Andy Nellison. I work for an organization called SHL. I am the global leader of our talent acquisition solutions. So we are an organization that produces data on people, objective data, um, using things like science and psychometrics to kind of understand performance. And we've been collecting a lot of data on the topic of skills that I'm really excited to talk more about. Skills is a topic that is coming up time and time and time and time again on the podcast. I mean, really over the last couple of months, um, I've noticed a you know, it's kind of always been there and it's certainly um, increased over the last year or so. But over the last couple of months, um, you know, everyone seems to be talking about it more and more. Why is that? Why why are skills important? Why are thinking about skills important? Why is that important within talent acquisition right now? Yeah, um, we've been on this skills journey ourselves for a handful of years. I think the answer to that sits in three categories. The first at least what we hear from our customers is just have more and more kind of non-HR people that are running towards us talking about the change that's happening in their business landscape. And they're using the language of skills to kind of articulate the impact that that is having on their people. So just 
navigating the future of work, which I'm sure everyone that's listening can relate to. Uh, so that's one reason. The other, I think there's just, especially on the heels of COVID, there has been a lot of disruption to labor markets and a desire to kind of expand talent pools and to reimagine the talent that we already have in seat. Are we taking full advantage of the skills that our teams have today? So I think that's another reason. Uh, and then lastly, and this is one that, that we at SHL hold quite near and dear, but this idea that Maybe skills really is that great equalizer that advances in a meaningful way our kind of DE&I initiatives. Can we leverage skills to really move past things like academic credentials or background or experience um, to make decisions around hiring or advancement that's just a little bit more fair? And uh, as we'll get into some of our, our data and research, we, we're seeing some evidence that, have, that skills really can be that that great equalizer. Now, I want to dig into all of those things in a bit more depth as, as we go through the conversation. But before we do that, I suppose by way of context, you mentioned there some of the things you were hearing from your customers. What's the market like at the moment? Are, are, are employers adopting this quickly? What are you, what are you kind, of, kind of seeing? Is it, is it, there's obviously a lot of talk about it, but are people actually doing the doing when it comes to skills? I think there's a lot of interest in becoming a, quote, skills-based organization or being on a, quote, you know, skills journey, whatever that might mean for a given organization. And so there's a lot of desire to make real progress here. I have not encountered a ton of organizations that, that I think would say themselves they've figured it out. So it feels like a lot of organizations are at the start of their journey, and it can feel overwhelming. Um, Getting started isn't necessarily intuitive or easy. So I think most of the organizations that we're working with are at the start of that skills journey and even wrestling with semi-basic concepts like, like definitions, what even is a skill, how should we understand what a skill is and you know apply it in terms of our kind of selection strategies, et cetera. So I think we're at the early stages of of a broad journey that the talent acquisition landscape is going to be on for quite some time, because I do think, as we'll get into some of the research, those three big buckets that we talked about, skills really can move us forward in a meaningful way. But I think getting started is hard. It's interesting because the um, it's very difficult to find anyone who disagrees that we're moving in this skills-based direction, but obviously, you know, we're, we're still at an early stage of it. So let's dive into some of your research because there's some absolutely fascinating stuff here that I know people will, will get huge value from, from hearing about. So tell us a little bit about how you categorize skills. Um, you know, how does it work, particularly when, you know, the skills that people need are so fast moving and need to change, you know, where do you start with all of this? What's, what kind of frameworks are you using? Yeah, um, for us, it, you know, when we got started in this on this journey eight or so years ago, that was really the thing that we needed to level set on is a definition for skills that that we could use that could have meaningful impact over time, and just an understanding that not all skills are the same. So we built a bit of a taxonomy, and I we won't get into all the details, but we started to use this metaphor of a tree that might be helpful for some in the audience, especially as they're having conversations with their non-HR partners internally 
at the top of the tree are the leaves, and these are what we would call perishable skills. And so these are these are the skills that are rapidly changing. The shelf life might be just 6, 12, or 18 months. You could think of these as kind of these technology or systems-related skills, um, even vendor-specific skills. We call these perishable skills, and it's hard to anchor a meaningful kind of talent program or a selection program on skills that have this really short shelf life where the leaves of the tree fall off every 12, 12 months. And so we try to help our customers anchor on what we call semi-durable or durable skills. And these are getting into like the trunk of the tree or even the roots of the tree Maybe these are you know, field-specific technologies or processes, or even more powerful than that, in our view, more of like a base layer of mindsets and behaviors and um, moving into things that, that are truly long-lasting. So examples might be getting into things like critical thinking or collaboration or adaptability, communication. Um, we might not have called these skills eight, 10 years ago where at least in my mind, I would have thought of kind of functional technical skills as a definition, but more and more we're finding that our customers really do want to embrace a broader definition for what a skill is, getting more into these softer skills, the roots of the tree, the the trunk of the tree, so that we can build talent programs that are a bit more long lasting. And so that's been the kind of the foundation of the taxonomy or the framework that we've created to kind of understand skills and tease out these perishable versus more durable skills makes perfect sense particularly in the world we're living now where you know as you said work is changing so quickly and you know organizations are hiring people and they don't know what perishable skills for want of a better word you know what perishable skills that they they're, they're going to need to learn or, or have lots of people talk about hiring for potential. Interestingly, just before this, I was doing a podcast interview about AI and work. And there was a chief people officer saying that, um, you know, when they're looking at their workforce over the next sort of five years, they're hiring for flexibility, they're hiring for potential, all these kind of things. So, so people talk about this all the time as being really, really important, but how do we spot it? How do we measure it? What does it actually mean? Potential? Yeah, that's a really good transition into, into a recent research study that we're really excited about. So that's really the question that we wanted to answer. So many of our customers, exactly to your point, they, they're they telling us that their jobs are changing so quickly, creating a, a, a hiring program on a narrow set of job-specific skills just doesn't feel as usable, knowing that those skills are likely, you know, likely to evolve so quickly as embracing a broader set of more transferable kind of longer lasting skills. And so they keep using the language. We want to hire for potential. And and that's, you know, here we are an organization that's science and data driven. We we wanted to really understand what that meant. So we embarked on a research project where on the one hand, because we deliver, you know, literally millions of assessments a year. So we and we've got a framework for understanding performance. And in that framework, there are 96 kind of business skills that are a comprehensive overview of the skills that exist in the workplace. And so on the one hand, we've got loads and loads of data, candidates that have applied for roles across levels, across industries, 
in different regions, and we understand their skill proficiency against these 96 soft skills, these business skills. And on the other hand, we've got their job performance data. So we know the people that are exceeding expectations. We know the people that have a very higher, you know, high rehire rate or they're achieving their KPIs, et cetera. And so we can marry up this very large data set to explore, are there a common set of those 96 business skills that, that seem to be predictive of job performance regardless of context? So uh, again, to be very specific, we had this data set that had about 20,000 data points in it. And these were individuals that were applying to roles that were both entry-level, early career professional, even early career manager roles, and they were from all different industries. And it turned out that when we looked at these 96 business skills, there were 12 that kind of universally are predictive of success. And so again, going back to that question, how do we understand potential broadly? Well, in a data-driven way, it is these 12 skills that have emerged that that might give us some interesting insights. You don't have to name all 12, but just give us a sample of some of the ones that stand out. So, um, and they're actually listed here in order of the skills that are most predictive. Um, And the top three actually stood out. So we will get to all 12, but there was a bit of a gap between number three and number four, meaning the top three were the most kind of universally predictive and then there was, you know, the, the following uh, down to twelve, where there was another bit of a gra- bit of a gap, and so that's kind of why we landed at twelve. But the first is take takes action, and the second is strives to achieve, and the third is establishes credibility. So, um, actually, not all that surprising to us. I think it's long been known that achievement, as a general construct of performance at work is a kind of a universal measure of of predictiveness and success. Um, So those top two takes action and strives to achieve just reinforced, I think, what we've known in the kind of IO community for a while, that achievement is a really important um, skill to have that could kind of be a universal predictor across roles. What about things like time management and learning and data analysis and all those kind of things? Do they, do they fit into those 12 critical skills? Yeah, they actually do. So I'll just quickly read them. So number four then is coordinates others' work. Number five, attends to multiple tasks. Number six, offers practical solutions. Number seven, applies functional expertise. Number eight, learns quickly, to your, to your point about learning. Number nine, uses time efficiently. Uh, 10, analyzes information. 11, makes difficult decisions. And 12, takes responsibility. So again, there's a lot in here that we expect to define these broad measures of achievement and conscientiousness. Um, But maybe to pivot to something that we kind of didn't expect that might be interesting to the audience this conversation about hiring for potential is often grounded and rooted in this notion that we just need people that are more adaptable, more resilient, or even that you might hear the word grit a lot, you know? And so it's actually a lot of that resilience piece was not in these 12. So this idea that you're coping or you're adaptable 
in very specific terms did not show up in the 12. And we were really kind of struck by that. But if you do look at some of those that did, you know, that are included in the 12, things like learns quickly, to your point, or analyzes information, takes responsibility, um, offers practical solutions. If you marry all those together, I think the real the thing that jumped out at us is this idea of a growth mindset. It's like understanding how and why jobs and roles and functions are evolving, being able to kind of on your own, create change in how you deliver value to your organization. We would call that growth mindset. And so I think that's one of the big takeaways, the aha moments that we had is that maybe it's not so much resilience or the coping that we need, um, but maybe it's more that kind of learning piece, that growth mindset piece that that is the thing that we hear so many of our kind of business stakeholders asking for. Maybe there's an important reframe there. So it's kind of the that you know it it's it's kind of being curious and knowing how to take action rather than being resilient and adaptable. I think that's that's really interesting. It's kind of much more action orientated, isn't it? Absolutely, right? Being curious, that's a great way. You know, things like analyzes information, which is number 10 on the list. Um, uh, offers practical solutions, that's number 6. Uh, number eight is learns quickly. I think that gets at that curious piece that you just mentioned. Absolutely, that's the that's an important reframe in our view. Maybe also people use resilience as a as a big umbrella term to mean to mean lots of different things. So it's really interesting to see you know all this all this kind of breaking broken down into um, into skills that 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 effectively can be can be measured. Yeah, you know, ironically, we also, as part of this research effort, we did like a macro view of all job postings and ONET data to look at the skills that we're valuing broadly in job descriptions. And of course, things like resilience and adaptability are very, very high. I think adaptability shows up in 94% of job postings across levels. So it's just like a universal skill that we're valuing in job postings. And learning... (laughs) statistically shows up in 0% of them. So so this thing that is so powerful in the research that we conducted, learning um, as an important construct of predicting overall job performance across roles is not something that we're selecting for necessarily if you just look at a job posting data. So we thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And it perhaps illustrates how far there is to go in terms of the mindset that people use to think about skills. Um, I'll come back to that in a second, actually. But before I do, I, I, I can't move on without um, going back to what you said earlier about um, you know diversity. I mean, how does focusing on skills help improve you know diversity in hiring? Yeah, um, this is, I think, the part of the research effort that we might be most excited about. So when we looked at these 12 skills, they don't produce adverse impact, meaning they don't negatively disadvantage disparate groups at all. And in fact, some of these some of these skills, different groups really, really thrive. So as an example, younger talent pools, they outperform in skills like takes responsibility. That's one of the 12 applies functional expertise, attends to multiple tasks, like when I look at my kids, uh, that's not a surprise, and takes action. So those four of the 12s, younger talent pools really excel at. Women thrive, um, at uses time efficiently, learns quickly, and attends to multiple tasks. Those were three of the 12. 
And then perhaps most interestingly, minorities, in this case, the definition was ethnic minorities. There were five skills of the 12 performed in, and it, they were takes responsibility, applies functional expertise, uses time efficiently, attends to multiple tasks, and strives to achieve. So skills, you know, we hear this a lot, but just I don't want to hire for academic credentials or previous experience. We do see skills um, offering a real opportunity to kind of advance those DEI initiatives and embed them into a broader talent strategy rather than having DEI exist outside of these talent initiatives. There's obviously a gap between people's um, you know, willingness and and need and want to kind of embrace embrace skills in their talent strategy and their ability to do it, as kind of reflected in what you were saying there about about job postings. What would your advice be to TA leaders listening? How can they really kind of move forward with their with their skills based evolution? That, and that's really one of the one of the intended goals of this research effort was to figure out a way to help organizations just get started. You know, it, if this skills journey feels overwhelming, well, maybe we can just start by reminding ourselves that skills related to things like achievement and conscientiousness are just always going to be universally valuable. Skills related to, to learning, to growth, uh, that growth mindset that we talked about. Um, that's an easy way to get started. You know, maybe we don't have to boil the ocean by over-engineering um, a skill strategy. Maybe we can just remind ourselves of some of these broad principles as a starting point, using skills, embedding them into our processes so that we can create more fairness in these talent processes. Um, and, and just Getting started, simplifying the journey and just getting started, I think that's one of the things that, that we're really most excited about. So just kind of looking into the looking into the future for a bit, what does work look like when we've moved to this kind of skills-based way of way of working when it becomes the norm? What's what what kind of vision do you have for the future? I think the word that comes to mind most powerfully to answer that question is mobility. I just, I think we've struggled um, across talent management landscape for years to really create structures that allow individuals to move across the organization and to feel like they're learning and adapting and applying and growing. And it feels like if we get this skills thing right, that's the thing that we unlock. And so there's value both to you know, to the, a very important constituent in this process, our people, they feel that growth. And then I think equally valuable is maximizing the contribution that they make and applying it against our changing business strategy. So aligning, you know, aligning these skills against the jobs of the future, the work of the future. I just think that mobility piece is really what we're trying to unlock. And so that's what I see. I see skills being the thing that helps us create that powerful movement that empowers and engages people while also, you know, aligning and directing against business strategy in a way that, that I think can be really powerful. And lastly, where can people find out more about the research? 
Yes. Um, so there's um, some white papers that we're posting on our website at shl.com, and there's also a handful of webinars that I will be doing, and uh, you can certainly find the invite to that on the website. And I'll be doing a much deeper dive on what we've learned in this research and what we think the implications are and how we think leveraging some of this intelligence can get you started on your skills journey in just a more simplified, easy way. So um, I would welcome any, uh, any of your listeners to attend any of those sessions, and we're looking forward to digging in. Thank you very much for talking to me. My pleasure. Thank you, Matt. My thanks to Andy. If you're a fan of the Recruiting Future podcast, then you will absolutely love our newsletter, Recruiting Future Feast. Not only does it give you the inside track on what's coming up on the show, you can also find everything from book recommendations to insightful episodes from the archives and first access to new content that helps you to understand where our industry is heading. Sign up now and also get instant access to the recording of my recent webinar on the future of talent acquisition. Just go to recruitingfuturefeast.com slash webinar. That's recruitingfuturefeast.com slash webinar. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or via your podcasting app of choice. You can find and search all the past episodes at recruitingfuture.com. And don't forget to sign up for the newsletter, Recruiting Future Feast. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next time and I hope you'll join me. This is my show.